as we begin a new year, we're also beginning a new message series called The Life God Blesses. And to get us started, I want us to recite together one of the great passages in the entire Bible about God's blessing, Psalm 1. Let's let the truth of God's word sink deep into our hearts this morning. So please join me now in saying Psalm 1 together. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away, and therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Amen. God bless you. We hear that all the time, don't we? From a simple courtesy when someone sneezes to a more pious person's, you know, sincere salutation, God bless you. We hear wishes of God's blessing so often, we don't even think about what it means. It's become a cliche, an offhand remark that doesn't really mean very much, just a custom, you know, without any content. It's like every political speech you've ever heard. Don't they all end with, God bless you and God bless America? Even the politicians who are working hard to, to eliminate the Christian faith from the public arena or pass legislation to curtail our religious liberties and freedoms of expression, they'll still ask for God's blessing in their speeches, hypocrites that they are. Why? Because they know that for some reason that phrase just kind of resonates with people. God's blessing. Who wouldn't want that? It's certainly better than the opposite. God's curse. If there is a God, nobody wants to be under God's curse, so it, you know, it's better just to cover your bets. What does it mean to be blessed by God? What does that look like? How do we receive God's blessing? What is a blessed life? In a few weeks, I'll be going with our mission trip to Bolivia to visit the Amistad Orphanage that we support. And by the way, I do want to thank you all for this financial support for the special Christmas offering for Amistad. The latest total for that offering was $46,698. And remember, we have a matching gift up to $50,000, so if someone felt moved to write a check for $3,302 today for the Amistad offering to meet that goal, we would not turn it down. Well, in Bolivia... If you sneeze more than once, there's sort of a progression of blessings that you get. After the first sneeze, people say salud. After the second, dinero. After the third, third, amor. Health, money, love. Aren't those the big three? Isn't that what everyone is sort of looking for? Isn't that what people sort of expect or, or hope from God? Health, money, love. That's God's job, isn't it, to keep me healthy, kind of living the dream with you know, a bigger house and a, and a better car, fully content in all my relationships, perfect job, perfect spouse, perfect children, perfect friends. And these days, there are plenty of 
preachers of the prosperity gospel that, that capitalize on that desire in people, who tell people that's exactly what you'll get if, if you join their church, if you pony up your financial tithe. Whatever you give to the church, God is going to double or give triple back to you. Well, friends, that's, that's not Christian stewardship. That would just be good investing. I mean, if it were true that whatever you give to the church, God is just going to get doubled back to you, then, then atheists would start giving to the church because that would just be a smarter bet than the stock market, you know, guaranteed return. Well, that sort of way of looking at God's blessing is kind of just short of a spiritualized Ponzi scheme. Unfortunately, I think that's the way most people look at this idea of being blessed by God. God is going to give me something that I want. People approach God's blessing with this outside-in mentality. Something will come to me from the outside, and then on the inside, I'll feel blessed. The check's going to arrive in the mail, a, a clean bill of health, a promotion at work, an A on a paper. Something that, that gets you all jazzed up, that gets your hearts pumping, and then the spiritual juices start to flow, and then you feel grateful to God. But we have a short attention span. If that's the approach you take to God's blessings, then those blessings need to keep coming because what God did for you yesterday soon becomes old news, ancient history. You're already on to the next thing and wondering, God, you know, what have you done for me lately? We are very restless people and unsatisfied. We need the next blessing and the next. We jump from one thing to another. People even jump from one church to another seeking some kind of mystical blessing, some anointing, restless. That restlessness should tell us our approach to God's blessing is maybe off track. The Bible emphasizes a different way of looking at blessing. It's inside out, inside out. We discover Christ within our hearts, already there. And then his presence works its way out into our circumstances and into our attitudes. In Colossians 1.27, the Apostle Paul calls this Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. Christ is already at work in you through his Holy Spirit if you're a believer. Christ has taken up residence in your heart if you're a believer in Jesus. You're already blessed from the inside out. Paul emphasizes this again, Ephesians 1, 3, where he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's in the past tense. Already blessed with everything. There is already a daily work of the Holy Spirit going on in your life. God desires to bring blessing to your life as you allow him free reign in your heart. Psalm 1 describes this kind of life, a life of regular, inside-out, sustained blessing, regular, sustained spiritual growth. Remember that the Psalms are really ancient Hebrew poetry. In our standard English poetry, we might emphasize rhyme and meter, but ancient Hebrew poetry relied on what is called parallelism for its impact. It repeats ideas and rearranges thoughts rather than sounds. The same thought gets repeated in slightly different words. The ancient poets focused on the, the subtlety of that and, and the beauty of the word arrangement. And unfortunately, that often gets lost when it gets translated 
into English, but you can hear the repetition as you read Psalm 1 aloud. But the real power of Psalm 1 comes from us, comes to us in one simple, very vivid image, something as ordinary as a tree. King David, who's believed to be the author of Psalm 1, sets up a comparison that's really common throughout Scripture. The difference between the godly person who has a vital connection to God and the ungodly person who is headed in the wrong direction. And the godly person grows because he or she puts down deep roots into the word of God. Blessed, David says. Blessed. That's how he starts the psalm. To be blessed in ancient Hebrew language meant to have a sense of, a sense of wholeness or completeness in your life. To be happy, but not a giddy kind of flippant way. Happy with a, a sense of deep satisfaction, a sense of balance, a kind of a solidness to life, a, a sense of stability. That the parts of your life are in sync with each other, that they're working together, that they're seamless. The German reformer Martin Luther translated Psalm 1 this way. All things are well with the person who. All things are well. Blessed. God's blessing. It's a prolific topic throughout the Bible, but the word is used 108 times just in the book of Psalms to describe a life situation where God's mercy and favor kind of flow over a person's life like water over a waterfall. A life situation characterized by, by wholeness, by shalom, God's peace. Oftentimes right in the middle of hardship and suffering. Blessed with the sense of God's presence and sustaining power, a sense of contentment regardless of the circumstances. Not life on easy street, but life united with God with a sense of God's purpose and power flowing through. Blessed, blessed. It's the same word Jesus used to open the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. To be blessed means to, be, to, to experience a sense of contentment. Blessed means you are aware of God's protection over your life, that you are in touch with God's purpose for your life, that you're following God's plan for your life that you sense his grace, his comfort, his guidance, his strength for the journey, that you sort of have a, a directional center, blessed. You're blessed because you're following God's guidance. But this isn't automatic. King David says there are things that you can do to develop this kind of awareness and contentment, things that you can do that put yourself in the position of being able to receive God's blessing. And then conversely, there are things that people do that cancel out God's blessing in their lives, that work against God's blessing, that can, that can sabotage God's blessing. So David first describes three things to avoid. First he said, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. In other words, look at your friends and the people who influence you. Don't don't join in with people who are doing the wrong thing. Don't be swayed by the crowd. Don't let peer pressure determine your actions. And that is just as true for us adults as it is for teens. Adults are just as easily, even more so, easily influenced by wanting to fit in. Fit in with your peers at work or fit in socially. To have all the, the stuff that other people have. To live life like folks whose who's only God is themselves or their money. David's first advice is, if you want God's blessing, don't live that way. 
Second, he says, don't stand in the way that sinners take. In other words, don't follow the advice of evil people or emulate the lifestyle of those who are far from God. Don't make them your role models. Don't dream their dreams. Don't let their values become your values. Don't get on the same path as them. And thirdly, he says, don't sit in the company of mockers. You know, mocking others is the number one form of humor in our culture today. I mean, we swim in the sea of sarcasm. And yet scripture says, don't join in with the smart mouths who just mock everything. Especially those who mock the things of God, sort of the Bill Mayers of the world, who hate all things Christian and make their living using sarcasm to tear other people down. Don't be sour like that. Don't let people like that set the agenda for your life. Don't, don't even hang out with them because their sourness towards life and towards God, it's going to rub off on you. Don't try to find your identity in that world. Instead, David tells us that the blessed person will find delight in the law of the Lord, in the word of God. The, the contrast is that you find your center, yourself, your basic identity through your love for God and God's word, not in what the world does. The person who is focused on putting scripture at the center of their lives is going to experience a much different kind or quality of life. That person is gonna be like a tree, firmly planted by a flowing stream, bursting with life, branches heavy with fruit. That's the kind of person will experience a, a changed character, a sense of stability, a fruitfulness that is promised by God to those who make Scripture the core of their lives. King David says the blessed person will find his or her delight in the law of the Lord. Delight, to find joy, your purpose, your passion, your direction, your life's values and your, from the truth that you discover in the Word of God and in the living Word, Jesus Christ. Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. And then King David tells us how to do just that. He says, you learn to meditate on the word. On God's law, they meditate day and night. Yes, meditation for Christians. Some people are surprised to know that meditation is part of the Christian experience and that it has been taught as an essential part of Christian growth since the beginning. Not meditation as it is taught in Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism, which is the, the emptying of the mind. In Japanese, it's called mushin, an empty mind, a, a nothingness in your mind. Christian meditation is the opposite of that. It is the filling of the mind, the filling of the mind with the positive truth of the word of God. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in Philippians 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Filling your mind with the good things of God, the good things of his world. That's Christian meditation. Meditation, the same word is used in Isaiah 31 verse 4 to describe a lion who was slowly chewing its food. In his classic book, The Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster says, Christian meditation is the soul's chewing. It's the opposite of a fast food meal where you gulp down and you don't even taste it. 
Meditation is slow. It's savoring each bite. It is slow and deliberate like a dog gnawing on a bone. I mean, really focused, really working at it. Slowly ingesting God's word, savoring each bite, thinking deeply about your life and who you really are, holding your life up to the mirror of God's word, like it says in James chapter 1. Holding your life up to God's word with honesty and transparency and letting the word of God filter your choices, your actions, your fears, your desires. Like a tree in good soil, put your life's roots down deep into God's word. That's how you experience the blessing of God. No shortcuts. And we're told to do this day and night. That's a Hebrew expression that just means all the time constantly, consistently, and regularly. It doesn't mean that you walk around with your nose in a Bible 24-7. It means your life is committed to the truth of Scripture, and you are regularly injecting or ingesting it into your mind and heart. It means your attitudes and actions are, are submitted to, the, to God's Word, that, that your worldview and is shaped and molded by God's Word. That God's truth is the foundation of your life and your lifestyle. God's word gets into your mind and into your heart so that at all times and in every situation, in every area of life, you're thinking it through God's thoughts. Ingesting God's word becomes a habit. It involves more than just reading the Bible. It means actually taking the time, and it takes time, to think deeply about when and where and how the scriptures can be applied to your life. This has to be an intentional part of your life. You have to make this happen. It doesn't happen by itself. King David tells us this tree is planted, intentionally planted by someone. The verb actually means literally transplanted, not merely planted. I mean, a planted tree could have gotten next to the stream by accident, you know, just a seed blown by the wind. But a transplanted tree means it was put there intentionally. Placed there for a purpose, cultivated. The image describes the Middle Eastern practice of taking a wild fruit tree growing in a barren, desert-like condition and carefully transporting it into the rich, prepared soil by streams of water so that they can grow strong and tall and bear more fruit. That's what God wants to do with your life. Take you from a barren place and put you, transplant you into good rich soil rooted deeply in the Word of God. And when that happens, you prosper. Whatever they do prospers, Psalm 1 says. Literally, it's an ongoing thing. It could be translated, in all that they may do, they continually or repeatedly prosper. Continually or repeatedly. God wants to bless you. A tree which is planted by streams of water it has the capacity to endure, and that just sounds good to me, continually and repeatedly blessed by God. But that means we have to live God's way. For our lives to become fruitful, we have to live God's way, being blessed. That doesn't mean you're going to win the lottery or retire to an island in the Caribbean. It's a picture of vitality, of, of really being alive as God intended for you all along. A, a green, healthy plant in spite of the conditions around you, a tree with deep roots that has stability, the capacity to withstand the droughts and the storms of life. 
Psalm 1 is a picture of God's blessing, the mental, emotional, and spiritual stability that we need in every kind of situations. And so, folks, we all need to put our roots down deep into God's word daily. The God of the Bible blesses lives. He's willing. He's even eager to pour out his blessing, his affirmation, his strength, his love, his confidence, his purpose that will surpass the limits of what we think of normal human experience. His blessing cannot be reduced to a formula or to some step-by-step process except that it is inside out. A work of his grace that starts deep in your heart that then works its way out into your attitudes and into your circumstances with a sense of wholeness and peace, shalom. The real question then for each of us is this. What must I do to invite the blessing of God onto my life? Well, for today, let's just make sure we've gotten beyond the simplistic understanding of God's blessing, that we don't get deceived by that outside-in approach where we rely on external material things to determine God's blessing. Real blessing from God starts from within, deep within the soul. We have to get honest about the true state of our inner life with God. And I would venture to say most people, including most Christians, are maybe in denial about what shape their soul is really in. We're conditioned only to think the outside stuff, the exterior of our life, our our material things, our talents, our circumstances. We're generally not challenged to look inside where God really wants to work. As I close, let me just illustrate it this way. In the autumn of 1992, there was a famous yachtsman named Michael Plant who was going to attempt a solo crossing of the North Atlantic Ocean from the United States to France. And Plant was well known in the sailing world. He was an excellent sailor. He took every precaution. I mean, he'd sailed around the globe by himself more than once. So he wasn't foolhardy or reckless. He had the best equipment that he could get. His sailboat, the Coyote, was state-of-the-art. From the design of the hull to the material used uh, to all its creature comforts, it had all the latest technology and communications, gear, locator, beacons, and sat phones, you name it. I mean, you name it, he had it. But after two weeks at sea, something went wrong, and people on shore lost contact with him. A rescue operation was launched. A few days later, the news came that uh, a passing freighter had found the sailboat floating upside down with the emergency inflatable raft still stowed in the cabin. Everyone in the sailing world was, was just mystified. I mean, just completely puzzled at that. Because a sailboat was upside down in the water, and sailboats do not capsize. Modern sailboats like the Coyote, they're designed to right themselves Even if a wave or the wind were to push them over or even flip them upside down, they're built to take this tremendous pounding from the sea and still right themselves. Uh, To right itself, a sailboat is designed to have more weight below the waterline than above it. It's the keel that gives the, the, below the waterline that gives the sailboat the ability to harness the power of the wind and the sail move the boat through the water, but a properly designed keel is also what will right the boat if it gets pushed over. And the coyote was built with a special 8,000-pound weight bolted to the keel for that very purpose, to assure its stability. And so the solution to the mystery was soon very clear. No one knows why, but that 8,000-pound weight below the waterline broke away. 
from the keel, and the sailboat's stability was therefore compromised. He could have hit an underwater object, hit a whale, maybe there was a defect in the building process, no one really knows. The first big wave of any magnitude was a death blow. And it must have happened so fast, Michael Plant didn't even have time to send a distress signal. Folks, people who focus on the outside in approach to life and God's blessing, it's like all they're focused on is what's above the waterline. Spend all their lives with the rigging and the beautiful sails, varnishing the deck, polishing up the hardware, but there's no weight below the waterline. And so there are people in trouble all over the place. Marriages in trouble. People desperate, trying to accumulate wealth and success who live in this golden cage of materialism, but there's just such a a restlessness and an unhappiness, but they can't imagine living life any other way. Just a life of stress and distress. Uh, You know, this percolating, simmering kind of anger because something deep within is empty. The soul What's below the waterline? It's empty. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. It's what's below the waterline that makes all the other stuff work. The life God blesses is focused on what is below the waterline. What is beneath the soil. Roots deep into God's word. For 2016, may God bless you with that kind of wholeness. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you just for this powerful illustration from Psalm 1. And may we this year be committed to put our roots deep down into the rich soil of Scripture so we can draw up into our lives your truth, your beauty, your wholeness, your peace, that our lives would then for become fruitful and alive and, and really full of all that you would want for us to have, Lord. That's up to us to align ourselves with your word, to commit ourselves, our behavior, our actions, our attitudes, to be informed and submitted to the word of God. Give us that grace today. In your name we pray, amen.